Good morning, afternoon, evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Cheetah as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, a two-parter series of Mike's Stupid Rules, and of course, write that down predictions here on episode 111. Iowa State lost against Oklahoma in the Big 12 Championship game this past weekend, as we all know. Something I do want to clear up, and this is strictly my opinion, and I think an opinion that's shared by both Kyle and Mike here, but Iowa State lost that game. And before you laugh, I've heard a lot of uh, people mentioning that, that the officials lost the game for us and that a lot of calls were going uh, Oklahoma's way and whatnot. And I don't believe that's true. I think it was a very fair game with the exception of um, a chop block call, which I think was really weak. Everything else was fair, including that controversial targeting call. Uh, we're going to talk more about that in the Mike Stupid Rule segment, so make sure you stick around to that point in the episode. But uh, here's a recap of the game. I mean, as I'm sure you all know by now, the Cyclones did come up short 27-21 to 21 against um, Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma played well, don't get me wrong. They played a really good game. But for me, the story of this game from an Iowa State perspective was what we've been talking about all season. Despite all the success that Iowa State has had, they shot themselves in the foot too many times. Too many self-inflicted wounds. I mean, let's go, let's go through this again. Uh, there are a couple, couple big plays I want to talk about. First one, right at the end of the first quarter, right? Iowa State has a pass that's deflected right into the arms of one of their defenders, who, who lets it bounce off his hands into the hands of an Oklahoma receiver. And then on the next play, Oklahoma scores a long touchdown, right? Right there, self-inflicted wound, catch the gift interception. I mean, just the turnover differential in general, minus three in the turnover differential with Brock Purdy throwing three interceptions, including one in the end zone, um, going for a pass to Charlie Kohler. Um, the special teams had trouble again, we missed a, a very makeable field goal early in the game, gave up two 60-plus-yard kick returns at very critical moments in the game. Once, right, both near the end of both halves, gave up long kick returns right as Iowa State was getting momentum, and that shot us in the foot. And then poorly timed penalties was the other thing. A couple of false starts on that last drive that were very poorly timed. The targeting call, which was not good, it's not good to have one of your best defensive players ejected um, in the first minute of the game. But yeah, the, in the end, the game was won in the trenches, I think, and Oklahoma won it in the trenches. They had pressure on Purdy pretty much all day, and um, Oklahoma's offensive line was able to keep Spencer Atler relatively clean. He did get sacked once by Will McDonald, but overall he was relatively clean. He actually had three sacks on the game. Did we? Yeah, we had Iowa State had three sacks on the game, and OU only had one. Uh, you've got that backwards. Yeah. Right? Or, I guess, 100%. yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Oops. Premier. Yes, that is who we are. Yeah, I read that backwards. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. But anyway, um, despite – um, the lack of pressure that Iowa State got on Spencer Rattler, the defense for Iowa State and Oklahoma, for that matter, played extremely well. You might not see that based on the score. I mean, this, was, this wasn't a high-scoring game. It was a middle-scoring game. 
but both defenses played extremely well. The two teams combined to go five of 24 on third down um, in the game with Oklahoma only going one for 11. Um, Iowa State's defense only gave up three points in the second half um, on the field goal. Um, They forced Oklahoma to punt six consecutive times to start the second half, which gave Iowa State's offense the chance to come back, what they did. Um, Came in most of the way back. But, yeah, too many things that that hurt Iowa State, too many self-inflicted wounds to ultimately get the job done. That's just the way it happened to be this year. And, I mean, overall still extremely proud of this team, the way they played this year given the circumstances. I mean – just think about it. Just the fact that this team has not had a COVID issue, like pretty much every other team in the nation has had at one point this season is saying something about the discipline and the character of this team. And then to bounce back from that opening loss to um, Louisiana and come back and play as well as they did and to give themselves a shot um, on one drive for the, the Big 12 title, incredible, incredible game. Brees Hall continued to impress with two rushing touchdowns. He set the ISU single-season record at 19 touchdowns, um, and he'll be back next year. Um, He's only a sophomore. He'll be back next year. The interesting thing is, remember, everybody can come back for next year, right? It's going to be interesting because nobody uses a year of eligibility. So it's going to be interesting to see, especially for the seniors, what seniors just decide to move on what seen, you know, the ones that aren't NFL caliber, what ones just decide it's time to move on versus what ones come back for one more shot versus the ones that are NFL caliber deciding to go pro or come back for one more year. So there's a lot more decisions that need to be made about the roster going forward. Um, but we'll deal with that after the upcoming bowl game, which we'll talk about shortly. But I want to give Kyle and Wyatt a, sh- a chance to provide any of their thoughts about the game. I want to go back to those three um, picks that Purdy threw. I think we can agree that at least two of those three were silly mistakes, right? We had the floater and we had uh, the one at the very end of the game. I don't know if you can call it a silly mistake. I think you can at, from the perspective of not calling the timeout, right? But Yeah, with the fire drill formation there. Yeah, it is what it is, right? Um, in hindsight, you would have fixed that ahead of time, but – looking at it from when the ball was snapped, either you snap the ball now and then you use the timeout for the next play to actually score or uh, you don't and potentially don't score. I, I, I get that. I think those were silly mistakes, something that maybe, maybe not it could, could have been. Let's look at that first play, though, right, in the in the end zone um, when we threw the interception. What do you think about that? I initially thought that was a stupid play, and I, I don't think it actually was. I think that was just – it happens, right? It was, it was a – it was a really good play call, mm-hmm. and he, it, was, it was just really good defense. That cornerback yeah. recognized it. He was covering the flat route. He recognized Purdy was rolling out to the right. He had obviously seen it on film that they were trying to go to Kohler in the back of the end zone. He came off of his route. He read it the whole way. That was a better play by the defense. I don't think it was a poor designed play. That play has worked before this team but obviously they saw it and it was better recognition by that cornerback who that cornerback actually missed all of last season he's one of the highest rated recruits that OU has on their team but he missed all of last season with a knee injury so he he's talented that's for sure I think the I think the worst 
interception was that one that was thrown uh, towards in the direction of Chase Allen. I thought the second one was the one. Yeah, yeah, that's, yep, that's that was the, the second one. one. That's that one that, that ball should have gone out of bounds. Yep. Chase Allen really wasn't open. Uh, and where he threw it, he threw it behind Chase Allen too. That ball shouldn't have been thrown. If Purdy runs no. the ball there, right, up three four yards at least. I, I'm not going to about that, but it should have been thrown away. If he was going to throw it, that should have yes. been thrown away. Agreed. But um, I agree with that. But I think that, I mean, he could have ran for a few yards there. He'd been effective on running the football. He could have run the ball there. Um, yeah. The third, inter- personally, the third interception is the one I fault him least for. Yeah. The one late in the game. I thought the first one was in a situation where you just can't underthrow that ball. Right. Worst case scenario, you overthrow that ball and it's incomplete and you fight another down, right? Overthrow that ball and give your big tight end a chance to go get it. Don't underthrow it. The second one, I agree, should have never been thrown in the direction of a receiver. It should have been run or thrown away. And the third one, it's a scramble situation. You're trying to make a play late in the game on third down, down the field, and it just doesn't quite work. But, but anyway, we can uh, backseat coach. Obviously, that's what this podcast is all about. We talk about sports. We can backseat coach. But to be in a situation where we were realistically in this game and a shot to actually win this game is testament to Brock Purdy and just the character of this team. We grind out game, and that's what it's all about. I was more proud of the effort that we showed in the second half, and hey, we played a closer game than Notre Dame did to Clemson. It wasn't a blowout. And for all of the – I just want to quiet all the people who are saying the Big 12 doesn't play defense. Oh, you want to talk about defense? Where was the defense in the SEC championship game? 52-46 to 46 with uh, each team having over – or, well, with Alabama having over 600 yards of offense and Florida having over 450 yeah, the SEC doesn't play defense. Everyone can be quiet. The Big 12 plays defense. That's all I had to say. Yeah. Well, Iowa State is still with it. There's one more game to play, and that's the beauty of it, how well we've played this season. We only dropped to 10 in the college football playoff, which gave us an at-large bid, uh, ticked off a lot of Indiana fans. It was pretty funny to see how we became public enemy number one very quickly but that's what happens when you play a much tougher schedule and you actually play games and don't have your games canceled because you know you can handle your own covid ish and so can your conference but oh well at large bid against or to the fiesta bowl against the big 12 or uh sorry pac 12 champs oregon i i put them in quotes because oregon technically shouldn't have been playing in that game in the first place Washington had to withdraw from that game as they had earned that spot due to COVID issues. And they beat the better team in that game, USC. Uh, So we get to play Oregon. Oregon's ranked, I believe, number 25 in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, That game will be on January 2nd at 3. Probably, I mean, this is the biggest game that Iowa State has played in a bowl game, right? Ever? It's the first ever New Year's Six Bowl game that they played. So, yeah, I would have to say it's probably the – yeah, it's a game that they should be favored in. Um, I haven't looked to see – it, it, uh, it early opened at favoring Iowa State by three. The line grew to – or moved to 
four when I last checked. And I've got it at four and a half right now. For Iowa yeah. um, ESPN FPI gives Iowa State a 51% chance to win this game. So it's basically a toss up. Um, we'll preview this game more um, in next week's episode. Um, this game will be played on January 2nd. Um, which is a Saturday, January 2nd, 3 p.m. Central on ESPN, um, if you want to watch. So we will talk more about Oregon next uh, next week. But what we want to touch on a little bit now is um, college football playoff ranking. So for those of you who haven't seen, the final college football playoff rankings came out um, selecting the um, four teams to go to the playoff. Um, and Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame were the four teams to go to the playoff. Um, and just as a note, uh, that two-three game was actually moved to, or the the game was originally split. One of the playoffs was originally supposed to be played in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl this year. That game has since been moved to Jerry World in Arlington, Texas, due to. Not having any, being, not being able to have any fans at the Rose Bowl game, and Notre Dame threatening to not play the game if they're if they weren't allowed any fans at that game. Mm-hmm. Yep. So those are the teams in the playoff. Now there are a lot of people who are upset for multiple reasons. For example, Texas A and M upset that um, Notre Dame made it over them. Cincinnati upset that they only climbed up to eight in the end of the college football playoff rankings, despite being nine and zero and a conference champ coastal Carolina also upset that at 11 and zero they stayed at 12 um, and missed out on a new year's six ball coastal Carolina and Indiana both missed out on new year's six balls, despite being in the top 12 because pac 12 champ Oregon and, um, and AC top ACC non-playoff team, North Carolina, um, both had to go to New Year's Six Bowl games because of contractual obligations. So um, there's a lot of beef with the college football playoff rankings and the college football playoff system um, in general. What are you guys' thoughts on how to fix the system? Okay, I've had this. Okay, so, go ahead. I'll let you finish. I was going to say, obviously, I think this year brought out the worst in the system because of the uneven number of games that people played. So I don't think the controversies would have been as big had Ohio State, for example, played 11 games, like 10 or 11 games, like everybody else. But um, yeah, anyway, either way, people have thought this system is broken for a while. So how do we fix it? Is it adding more teams to the playoff, changing how the teams are ranked? How do we do this? I think we should have a, a less subjective way of measuring the team's eligibility into the playoffs which this would also expand the playoffs a little bit. The first thing that comes to mind that's been in my head for probably you know, a couple months now at least is just putting together all the Power 5 champions together plus, I don't know, top score of one of the non-P5 conference teams. So you have a six-person playoff that just does a round-robin format to, to determine, you know, that, 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 that's your semifinals. That goes in your championship game, top two from uh, a one-pick-three Round robin. I think that would be the simplest approach. I don't think it's the best approach by any means, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind is taking the champions from all five of the Power Five conferences plus one uh, to get a nice even number. And, and then, then pit- two three team round robins yeah. or one five team round robin? 
Yeah, no, I think one five team round robin would take too long, right? It would just take two weeks to do. Um, I mean, it would take. Yeah, yep, I agree that that's about up. So, is that in your plan? Is that sixth team? Does it have to be from a non-power five conference, or is it just the best non-conference champion? I think it should be the best non-power five conference champion. Best the the best the best team that's not in the power five. So, for example, this year it would have been Cincinnati. Cincinnati, yeah. Yep, exactly. Because I feel like non-power five teams, especially right now in the CFP rankings, don't get enough credit for what they. You can argue that Cincinnati does or doesn't deserve to be uh, as low as they are, but I feel like this at least gives them a chance out of all those conferences, a chance for the national spotlight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, But you would still use the selection committee to um, rank the team? For the non-power five, I I don't know how else you would do it, right? So I'm trying to reduce as much of the subjectivity as possible by just using the conference champions. I don't know how else you would decide who the best out of the non-power five are. Do you look at records? Do you look, you know, at that point, what's what's the tiebreaker for the the records? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the best solution would be at that point, but I think that at least mitigates most of that um, subjectivity that we get currently with the, the CFP. Okay. Kyle, what's your pick? Well, so here's what I'm going to start with. We, we, we tried a mathematical formula before that was known as the BCS and everyone is mad about that. We've tried the subjective route, uh, with four teams that get in and now everyone is also mad about that. I think right now what the college football playoff is really doing is devaluing other college teams and other bowl games. Like there's not enough value placed on it. I mean, you look at a team, just take, for example, Iowa State. Iowa State is very happy to be in the Fiesta Bowl. But you're looking at teams like Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, who are up in arms, and Indiana, up in arms that they felt like they weren't valued enough to even really be considered. Cincinnati, obviously, to be in the top four, Coastal and Indiana not being in the New Year's Six. Honestly, I think the in my opinion, the best way to go about this is expand to an eight-team playoff. Take Wyatt's method. You do. You have your conference champions from the Power Five schools, so there's five. You take the best team from the uh, non-Power Five, in this case Cincinnati, and then you have three at large on top of that, or two at large two on top of that. Large. Sorry, yeah. right? Two at large on top of that, and you play a playoff that way. Other than that, I, the, I mean, the next option is going up to 16. I think that's too many games. You're turning it into an NFL season. Are these college kids going to be able to play that many games? Probably not. The other thing that I thought about was doing six teams and having a, a first-round buy for the top two teams. But then that there's a lot of subjectivity that goes into that. Who are the best top two teams who get that first round by? And, and then, then that's not really fair for the teams that have to play an additional game and then have to go and face is said to be the top two teams in the country. Hard enough for anybody to beat Alabama. It's even harder to beat Alabama when they've had an extra week off to get ready for you. Right. I like the idea of an eight team, the, the expansion to, to eight teams. I think 16 would be too much. Um, not only just because they're college kids, but in my opinion, elimination brackets for football are, are silly. I wish we'd do more round-robin format um, champions in both professional and, and college. I think it gives um, 
teams better chances at winning. It keeps things more interesting, in my opinion. You don't see any round-robin format uh, championship stuff outside of, what, wrestling? That's pretty much it. No professional sports that I'm aware of besides uh, te- tennis, maybe? Tennis might do it as well. Uh, I, just wish I mean, more tennis, tennis is a bracket. See, similar to Are they bracket? Well, what am I thinking of that has the uh, the special? Yeah, in like the World Cup International Soccer type. That thing. might be what I'm thinking they of. They do a round yeah. robin stage to get, and then they go to a bracket after that. So they do a little bit of a hybrid. But yeah, anyway, I think that college football would have an advantage if they were to go for uh round robin i I think it keeps things more interesting and and it's more interesting games to televise as well in my opinion yeah i'm not opposed to doing a round robin i mean so it would be the round robin would be the same that you proposed why with six teams would be the same number of games for the champion as an 18 playoff would be it'd be three games either way so it's not like you're adding more games um the the thing the only i'm not set in a specific number the thing you have to be you have to know what the number is basically the number you have to put in is you have to put in enough teams that anybody who has an argument that they have a legit shot to win the national championship should be in. I think in college football, that number is probably six or eight. So I think we're at the right spot there. I mean, if you look at teams ranked nine through 12, I mean, you can't honestly tell me that Georgia, Iowa state or Indiana have a beef to say they're actually the best team in the nation. Like they're not like, I'm sorry. You're good. I agree. You're not the best team in the nation, but Cincinnati and Texas A&M. Yeah. You could, you can, I would listen to an argument that they might be the best team. So as long as everybody with the legit argument for that can get in, that's enough number. What I want to look at is how the teams are selected. So there's, I mean, right now it's complete subjectivity. Um, versus the BCS, which was completely mathematical. Um, this is uh, a system we talked about um, back last winter that they use in college hockey, right? The pairwise rating system. Do you both remember when we talked about that in Mike Stupid Rules? Yeah, I don't like know that. exactly how something like that would look in college football. I mean, again, it's another thing that's completely mathematical, but it's more than just one number crunch like the BCS ranking was for just for reference the pairwise in hockey um takes three factors um your rpi your head-to-head record and your um record against common opponents and then basically assigns assigns you a score versus every other team based on those three factors and then ranks you so it's still completely mathematical but it provides some more factors i don't know exactly how you would execute this in football but I'm looking at something like that. Can you put something like that together in football is what I'm looking. And then it's also extremely, for better or worse, they'll probably never do this because it's extremely predictable too, which they probably don't like. I mean, I'm sure the NCAA loves that everybody is speculating for weeks about who might make the playoff and the pairwise makes it so mathematic that you know if Notre Dame wins – this and this and this, and you know what's going to happen based on the result before it happens. So they might not like that, but that's a way to take some of the subjectivity out of it. Well, and there's the fact that then when everyone's guessing, you have to sit and wait for three hours to see where Iowa State is landing at a bowl game. Yeah, ESPN, that was I, have a, I have a few issues with you and your presentation of all that. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that one, but 
it wasn't as bad as the CFP show the week prior that had uh they did what 25 to 10 and then no, 10 to 7 25 yeah. to 7 yeah you're right yeah. and then 1 to 3 and then 7 to 4 <laughs> yeah then 6 to 4 yeah that was awful Anyway, if you, the listener, have any suggestions on how you would improve the college football playoff format, what would you do, right? Hit us up on Instagram at 8311cast, or of course, drop us a line on our contact page at 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact. I'm sure we could go on and on about our improvements to the CFP. I know I could anyway, but we have to uh, move our attention away from the gridiron and back to the hardwood to talk about some bad. I don't know how much attention we want to put to this because the the what has been put on the court uh, hasn't been fantastic, uh, especially when you lose to the um, preseason picked worst team in the conference in K State in a week uh, at home, mind you. That doesn't usually bode very well. Uh, the theme of this week. Uh, As Iowa State played three games, the theme is turnovers. Uh, They averaged 16.7 turnovers uh, per game so far this season, but overall in a single week from Tuesday to Sunday, the Cyclones turned the ball over 51 times. That is, you just can't do that and expect to win basketball games. That's what it boils down to. They lose two conference games this week. Uh, They did play one non-conference game, so they went one and two this week uh the first game against k-state back on tuesday they lost by nine points they were down by as many as uh 14 or more they were down 14 at halftime uh but couldn't they tried to come back but didn't have enough gas to actually come back in this game uh 17 turnovers against k-state and that led to 24 points off of turnovers K-State does a very good job of once they turn you over, they actually turn those those turnovers into points. They had 14 second-chance points as well, which means they were getting offensive rebounds. Another theme of this week is Iowa State was out-rebounded the, the whole week. Not great. Uh, K-State ends up shooting 29 free throws and makes 26 of them. Quick math, that's 90% from the free throw line. Yikes. When you give up 29 points – just for free or 26 points for uh, I, I wasn't able to watch the entirety of this game to either blame it on officiating. I heard from the grapevine, especially through Twitter uh, that officiating was subpar, I should say in this game, but still you can't send a team to the uh, line 29. Uh, But obviously they uh, didn't learn that as they headed to Morgantown Um, They only lost by five points, and really Iowa State was competitive through the majority of this game. They had a lead as late as the under four timeout in the second half, but weren't able to uh, really just finish it out. Bolton had a team high 25 points, but not much help. Uh, Other than that, Jalen Coleman-Lands was the only other Cyclone player in double figures with 11. West Virginia shot 37 three throws. You notice how I said they didn't uh, learn Obviously, they didn't have a short memory, uh, and they committed fouls like nobody's business again in this game. 37 free throws is a lot. Fortunately, West Virginia only made 25, uh, shooting under 65% from the free throw line in that game. They did give up 14 offensive rebounds, though, which led to 16 second-chance points for West Virginia. That is not good at all. 
19 turnovers as well in this just absolutely inexcusable. This team needs to turn this team needs to be around 10, 8 to 10 turnovers per game, really to realistically have a shot at winning game with how poorly they are shooting range so far this season. I mentioned that uh three-point percentage for the season. They are shooting, it's actually climbed a little bit. They're shooting 32% collectively as a team, but they have had some very, very poor uh games, especially. Uh, highlighted once this week with a 22 per, or 22 uh, percentage from the three-point line, which uh, finally got onto a high note as they beat Jackson State. Obviously, this is a game you have to win. This was a weird season where they had two conference games in the middle of uh, or two conference games in the middle of their non-conference schedule. Um, they had 18 turnovers again in this game. Fortunately, Jackson State could not turn them into points. Uh, which is really the only reason why they won this game. Uh, they ended up winning by a final score of 60 to 45. Solomon Young and Jalen Coleman Lands led the way in this game. Solo had 18 points, eight rebounds, and Coleman Lands had 16 and nine uh, for the Cyclones. Looking ahead, uh, they were going to play uh, Chicago State um, this week on Tuesday. But that game has since been canceled. That was due to Chicago State not having enough scholarship athletes to actually play this contest. So they had to cancel the game. And then next up, the same day as the Fiesta Bowl, Iowa State plays host to Baylor. Uh, So Cyclone fans, you'll have at least one good game to watch that day. Um, I'm not sure it'll be the, the basketball game. So enjoy Enjoy the football game while you can. And we scurry right along to week 15 in the NFL, uh, where a lot of interesting things happened. The Chargers uh, won um, at the the very end of the game. Justin Herbert was able to run the ball in for a touchdown, and they stymied the Raiders' playoff hopes. The Raiders are essentially out of the playoffs. Uh, 538 gives the Raiders a less than 1% chance to make the playoffs. Now the bills clinched the AFC East with a thumping of the Denver Broncos. Josh Allen wasn't even born the last time that Buffalo won that division. That just goes to show how long the Patriots have reigned in the East. Speaking of the Patriots, they are officially eliminated from the playoffs as the Miami dolphins beat them down in, uh, in Southern Florida this week. The Packers maintain control on the number one seed as they beat the Carolina Panthers. Uh, That was a Saturday slate of football for you. Look forward to it next week. Three games on Saturday. It's just a weird time in the NFL. Uh, The Falcons blow another lead. Uh, They blow 17-0 lead to the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers obviously come back to win that game as they try to maintain control of their spot in the NFC playoff race. Uh, Mike, do you want to talk about your Vikings and how your Vikings are now realistically out of the playoffs? Uh, Yeah, the Vikings. I mean, so basically Minnesota and Chicago were playing what was virtually an elimination game for the playoffs here with both teams sitting at six and seven. And as Kyle uh, alluded to, the Bears won it. Um, the Bears were essentially able to run and throw all over the Vikings defense, despite, you know, their quarterback being Mitch Trubisky. 
Um, David Montgomery did set a career high in rushing yards in that game. Fun fact. Um, go David Montgomery. Um, but yeah, even Mitch Trubisky was able to throw all over that Vikings defense and Kirk Cousins was under pressure, pressure all game, made some bad throws and was not able to lead the game winning drive um, when he needed to. And that basically knocks the Vikings out of the playoffs. Um, better luck next year. Basically is all you can say for that one. Better luck next year and go lose, go lose two more games so you can get a better draft pick. Yep. Better luck next year. As Mike alluded to, if they lose two more games, they'd be losing those games to the saints and the Detroit lions real possibility against the saints, but maybe not against the lions. Uh, speaking of <laughs> better luck next year, um, the jets in the surprising game of the week beat the Los Angeles Rams. Um, they avoid an 0-16 season. Uh, and actually, with that win, they really avoid the number one pick uh, in the draft as well, which is absolutely unfortunate for them, as Jacksonville now has the number one pick due to the remaining strength of schedule between those two teams. Uh, it's crazy how that works out, but them's the rules. Uh, and... Speaking of the number one overall pick, it is presumed that Trevor Lawrence is going to be that pick. Uh, and for Trevor Lawrence, the Jets stand for just evaded a terrible situation. Um, he manages to avoid going to New York. Uh, he will probably end up in Jacksonville, which I think might be a better landing spot from hit for him. Uh, gets him a little bit closer to home as he came out of Georgia uh, when he was to Clemson. Um, with that, or also in the week, the Chiefs outlast the Saints. This was the only matchup of the week featuring teams over 500. Wasn't much of an exciting week unless you were watching your own team. Um, and the Chiefs in this game played really good defense. Drew Brees started the game 0 for 7. First time that he has done that in, I believe, six or seven years, uh, which was pretty impressive. The Saints did make a game out of this. They ended up getting a safety on a wild play on a kick return. Um, go safeties in the NFL. Uh, the Chiefs win with a final score of 32-29, to 29, but end up losing uh, their top, <clears throat> top running back, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, uh, which makes that Le'Veon Bell uh, signing all that more imperative for this team as they make that playoff push. Uh, speaking of playoff push, the Packers and the Chiefs can both clinch the number one seed with week 17 wins. Week 16 for both teams is basically a wash, um, which is not really what you want to see as an NFL team going into the postseason. You want to keep that momentum going. So we'll see how both of those teams end up uh, playing those games and really feeling those games out as they try to avoid massive injury for the playoffs. Speaking of the playoffs, in the AFC, your playoff picture is Kansas City number one, Pittsburgh two, Buffalo three, Tennessee four. The Browns are at five, Colts six, Dolphins seven. Uh, with AFC teams, um, the Dolphins have are obviously in, um, but in the the AFC is pretty much decided. Uh, the Ravens also have a. Uh, theoretical shot of making the playoffs as well, although that chance is less likely. Although uh, 538 actually gives them an 89% to make the playoffs, with the Dolphins only having a 31. So we will see how that plays out for both of those teams. In the NFC, 
Your playoff picture is Green Bay 1, New Orleans 2, Seattle 3, Washington football team 4, Rams 5, Buccaneers 6, and Cardinals 7. As we alluded to earlier, the Bears are really the only team fighting for a wild card spot in this uh, division, um, as well as Washington currently owns that division in the NFC least, but the Giants still have a 10% chance of winning that division and the Eagles a 9%. So that division has not been wrapped up yet. Obviously, we will keep you apprised of everything in the NFL, but Mike, it is time for your segment as we talk about a few more football rules. Before we get into Mike's stupid rules, uh, you did forget to mention that there was a scorigami this week. Oh, I did forget that. Uh, the so Lions sorry. and Titans game uh, ended with a final score of 46 to 25, which is a score that has never been recorded as being scored before in the NFL. That brings our total up in 2020 to nine scorigami. Not only did we have scorigami, we had a couple of other games that uh, were very rare scores. Um, for example, that. Um, the Dolphins Patriots game added 22 to 12. It was only the second time that that score had ever happened. Um, we had another one, the, that Bills Broncos game at 48 nine. It was only the third time it ever happened. So we had a lot of rare scores this week in the NFL, but moving on to Mike's stupid rules, we're actually going to have a two part episode of Mike's stupid rules. Um, on this week as we talk about plays from the Big 12 championship game. So first up, we are going to talk about um, offsides um, and what the college rule is for defensive offsides because um, there was a play where Matt Campbell was very, very, very angry. Um, so we're going to clarify the rules there and see whether a penalty should have been um, called. So in the college football rule book, you can find the rule on offsides in rule two, section 18, article two um, goes offsides. So there are uh, multiple cases where offsides could be called. Um, after the ball is ready for play, offsides occurs when a defensive player, A, these are quotes from the rule book, A, is in or beyond the neutral zone when the ball is legally snapped, or B, causes an opponent or contacts an opponent beyond the neutral zone before the ball is snapped or C contacts the ball before it is snapped or D threatens an offensive lineman causing an immediate reaction before the ball is snapped or E crosses the neutral zone and charges towards a team a back or F is not behind his restraining line when the ball is legally free kicked. Um, so basically what we're getting out of that rule is despite the multiple Oklahoma players being off, being in the neutral zone or in Iowa state territory, even at multiple times, if you watch the replay, none of those cases, a through F actually happened on those plays. Like it's on the offensive lineman to move. If somebody comes across the neutral zone, move. You move, they'll get called for offsides, and you can get your five yards. Like that, like you can be upset all you want, but be upset at the offensive lineman, not the officials. The officials got that one right. You got to move. There was no offsides on that play, so 
That was actually good officiating, despite what many fans would say. And either way, Brock Purdy ended up running the ball for 20 yards on that fourth down play anyway. So um, it didn't really matter in the grand scheme, is what I'm trying to say. It makes me wonder. Like, initially, I was a little upset about that because I thought that anybody on the offense had to jump for it to be offsides. It could it could be anybody. And if we look, um, I think it was the very last player, Purdy did jump. He did make a, a, a movement that would be considered a false start, right? Um but in that scenario, that's not offsides. Correct, because it must be, an, right? That's why I put the emphasis on um, part D there. Threatens an offensive lineman causing an immediate reaction. The reaction has to be from the offensive lineman in order to get the penalty, and none of the offensive linemen reacted. So, and This isn't something I've looked up, but I, I think this is differing because in the NFL, if something similar would have happened and the quarterback would jump, um, th- this would be considered offsides. I think I could be wrong, but I've seen that happen before, right? Where uh, in a normal false start scenario, if the defense is over the neutral zone, uh, this would be considered offsides. Which it, it kind of makes you wonder again, why didn't we get flagged for a false start then when Purdy jumped? Was it not a big enough jump to warrant a false start, I suppose? Uh, I don't know. They're not going to call a false start on the quarterback because right they have before you can i know but you can argue you that he's making signals right is jump is jumping up and down a signal to our end wide receiver to go deep right it's not it's not simulating game action right yeah, jumping yeah. up and down is not simulating game action that's why i didn't get called for a false start this actually that actually happened um was that last week or two weeks ago i can't remember what game it was it was going to be a qb sneak into the end zone for, oh, Lord, I don't know who it was, but the quarterback ended up getting called for a false start. That might have been in the NFL, too, actually. I'm getting my wires crossed, possibly. But anyway, I do agree that the officials did make the right call there, the right no call. Um, there was no contact with the offensive line, and nobody on the line jumped when they needed to jump, which is frustrating because we tend to get very stupid false start penalties uh, far more often than I think we should. Yeah. In part two of Mike's stupid rules, we are going to talk about what Wyatt alluded to um, before, which was the targeting call that ejected uh, Ashim Young 45 uh, seconds, less than 45 seconds into that game. Um, Now, we talked about this beforehand, and I think all three of us agree that the way the NCAA rule is written, and Wyatt um, will read these rules to us here shortly, but I think we all three agree that that was targeting and by the rule, he should have been ejected. Yeah. Uh, and later we'll talk about whether or not that rule should be rewritten. But why? can you read us the rule and tell us why um, it was interpreted correctly there? Yeah, you say 45 seconds into the half and you're correct, but that's the second play of the game. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that was so painful. So if we look at the rules, the two rules that we're looking at are uh, in the NCAA rulebook, rule 913. So that's uh, rule 9, section 1, article 3, and 914. Um, 913 doesn't apply here. This is the rule that says that you can't lead with the crown of your helmet. Uh, you can't make forceful contact against an opponent with the crown of, of your head. We don't see that a lot um, since this rule was put into place, I don't think. Um, usually targeting is going to be uh, under the 914 rule, which uh, verbatim says that no player shall target and make forcible contact to the head or neck area of a defenseless opponent. Um and you can't make that contact with a helmet. You can't make it with a forearm, hand, fist, elbow, or shoulder. 
this rule also uh, requires that there be at least one indicator of targeting, which they have listed below. And when in question, if the official is questioning whether or not this is targeting, then it is targeting, right? So if you're saying, oh, I don't know, it might be, then it is. They have two notes here, note one and note two. Note one designates the criteria that have to be met to be considered targeting. One of these criteria have to be met to be considered targeting. Note two is um, criteria for a defenseless player, right? So if, if we look, we have basically a launch, right? Where a player jumps and leaves with his feet to attack an opponent. And they use the, the verbiage attack, right? Targeting is supposed to be a penalty. Um, it's, a, it's a flagrant foul, essentially, right? If you look at it from basketball terms, this is a flagrant, a flagrant two. Um, you're attacking the player by, by launching. Uh, a crouch followed by an upward and forward thrust, which is essentially an attack, but you're not, or essentially a launch, but you're not leaving your feet. That's the second criteria for which can be met to be targeting. Uh, the third is leading with your helmet, folder, shoulder, forearm, fist, hand, or elbow to attack with forceful contact and head back area, as we discussed earlier. And the last one is lowering your head before the attack by initiating forceful contact with the crown of the helmet. In my opinion, this is targeting due to that third bullet point, which was leading with the helmet, shoulder, forearm, uh, fist, hand, or elbow to attack the other opponent in the head or neck area. I think technically Aishim Young did make contact to the head or neck area of the Oklahoma def uh, offensive player with his shoulder, right? Yep. It doesn't matter. If you look at the replay, he's hitting his shoulder like, no, I led with my shoulder. Yeah, you did. By rule, that's still targeting. I think he was going for the crown of the helmet targeting call, right? Like we discussed the 913 rule. But by rule, that is targeting. Any questions on how targeting is uh, defined in, in the NCAA? It's obviously different than uh, in, by rule that that is targeting, right? He made contact to the head and neck area with a part of his body. Basically. Yep. I completely agree that that was targeting based on what happened on the field. Now, the question that I have is, I mean, as many people are talking about, I don't, I don't necessarily, and I agree, think that targeting needs to be fixed, but I think the part of it that needs to be fixed is less about the yardage and more about the ejection part of it, right? Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm not even upset that that's a 15-yard penalty. It should I be. Think, I think that for an ejection to occur, this is what they need to change, is that there has to be something, some sort of intent or gross endangerment. And I know that gets subjective. Like actually, like, a, like launching themselves into the player. Yeah, I think I think the standards for ejection need to be above the standards for the penalty is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. And I don't know exactly how to do that, but that's my take. I have two fixes in my mind. Number one is just to remove that third bullet point. Leading with the helmet, shoulder, forearm, fist, hand or elbow to attack with forcible contact at the head or neck area. I don't feel like that should be targeting. Um, is it I, I don't know what that would be, but I, I don't think generally that is what targeting is. Targeting is a much more egregious call, in my opinion. I think that third bullet point there really just kind of, uh, it makes it a crap, a crap penalty, I guess. I agree that you shouldn't necessarily be ejected for that. I'm more of the opponent of, I kind of foreshadowed this, I suppose. But like in basketball, we have flagrant ones and flagrant two. Something similar for the targeting rule, a change where, yeah, it was targeting, but it wasn't intentional or it wasn't, um, maybe intentional is not the right word. And but it was unavoidable, right? Like we've seen instances in this case, I think especially you have 
the offensive player coming down towards the ground as the tackle is trying to be made. That's usually when we're seeing these targeting calls. Right. He tried to go low. He tried to avoid his head, but the receiver came down. Yeah, the the receiver went lower. In this case, this should be at a bare minimum a personal foul. If you want to call it targeting, great, but it's not ejection worthy. Right. And then and then if you want, do it like basketball, where if you have two of the same penalty, then you can eject him. Kind of like what they are to do with unsportsmanlike conducts, right? Right. There's right now, as it stands, they're not letting the kids play football. And I understand that you want to make it as safe as possible. That's why, in my opinion, if you're leading with the crown of your helmet to do something like that, the rule 913, I think absolutely that should be ejection order. I don't see a problem with that. You don't see that anymore, though, right? Like, that's a dangerous move for for both players, for both the, the player making that tackle with the crown of their helmet and the player receiving uh, whatever hit that is. That's dangerous. And nobody really wants to play dangerous. Most of these targeting calls that we're seeing are completely incidental, in my opinion. Uh, the last one that I can think of off the top of my head that was completely legit and deserved an ejection was uh, the Alamo Bowl against Washington State. That first first uh, targeting call was, was bad. That's the only one I can think of in the top, off the top of my head in recent memory that really warranted it. Yeah, I think you just have to be more careful when you're ejecting. Right, and obviously a lot of it boils down to when you look at it in slow motion – it looks more egregious than it actually was. That's in real time, the issue with the review. Yeah, that, that's an obvious, that's a football play, right? There's nothing egregious. There's nothing unsportsmanlike about that tackle inherently. It was, it was happenstance. It's I especially don't... tough when you miss arguably your top, one of your top three defenders on your team yep. two plays into the game. So. Yeah. Iowa State lost the game for themselves because two of the big calls that everyone's complaining about, we just proved that they were right and we're biased towards iowa state so they were right calls when you look at the rule anyway moving right along to our accountability session um we had a lot of predictions come off the board this week as the nfl playoff picture is coming into um, view and bowl games are set and getting started across college football um, the first prediction to come off the board was for me. I predicted that three NFC South teams would make the playoffs. We're likely to see two of them as the Saints have already clinched and the Buccaneers have a 99% chance going to 538, but both Carolina and Atlanta are bad and eliminated. So for that, I get a nah. Um, Next to come off the board is the prediction from Kyle, where he predicted the Jets would go 0-16. As he mentioned, they won a game. Can't go 0-16 if you have a win. So, nah. 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 Um, They should have listened to me, though. What? They should have listened to me, though. Yes, you can definitely argue that they should have lost that game. They should have tried to lose that game, but they didn't. Um, Kyle predicted that that there would be no bowl games. Correction. Correction, Wyatt. Yeah. Sorry, Wyatt. Yeah. Wyatt predicted there would be no bowl games this year. Um, we actually had our first bowl game that was played today. Um, it was the Myrtle Beach Bowl. Since we've officially had a bowl game that was played, um, I'm finally taking that prediction off the board, even though it's looked like it was going to be wrong for a while. Now it officially is. So for that, Wyatt gets a nah. nah. Um, Kyle predicted the Cardinals would win the NFC West. They are eliminated from um, – the NFC West competition is that division will either be won by Seattle or uh, Los Angeles. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. Nah. White predicted that Brock Purdy would have two 350 yard passing games this season. He got over 300 
multiple times, but never got to 350. So even with one game left, he can't get to two 350-yard games. So, nah. Nah. Wyatt predicted that Iowa State would go to a bowl game geographically south of Memphis. Last time I did geography, Arizona is south of Memphis. So for that, Wyatt gets a ding, 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 ding. Kyle put, uh, Wyatt, excuse me. Wow, I get you too confused today, apparently. You're not Wyatt the only one. predicted that Iowa State would only have a maximum of one more turnover this season. They were doing good. Since he made that prediction, they hadn't had any. Until Brock Purdy threw three interceptions on Saturday. So for that, Wyatt gets a nah. nah. Kyle predicted that Iowa State would make a New Year's Six Bowl game. The Fiesta Bowl is one of those. So for that, Kyle gets a ding, 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 ding. ding, ding. Wyatt predicted that Iowa State would beat Kansas State in basketball, which they didn't. So nah. 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 And Wyatt predicted that. Ohio State would lose the Big Ten Championship game. And as you all might have assumed by us saying they made the playoffs, they did win that game. So for that, why it gets a nah, nah, nah. That is it for our accountability session. Kyle, you want to get us started putting things up on the board? Yeah, so this is going to be a positive one because I, I need some wins. Uh, I'm going to say that Iowa State wins by at least two scores in the Fiesta Bowl. Hmm. Boy, what is that? Double? So, I, I don't know. Um, at yeah, least a double, obviously. I would say triple. You're saying greater than nine points. That's correct. That's the definition of two scores. Nine right. points. That, yeah. That's what I was assuming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not two touchdowns, two scores. So, two nine scores. points are great. Nine points. See, if you said two touchdowns, I'd lean towards triple. But if it's just nine points, <sighs> I'd lean towards double. You think a double? Right, so we, we talked about the line earlier, right? The yeah. line is Iowa State four and a half, right? That's essentially what Vegas says is a 50-50. Having a 50-50 is a single, right? So it's going from four and a half to nine points, really enough to go from a single to a triple. That's I mean, what I'm saying, double. I mean, that is good logic. I, I, in my heart, I feel like it's a triple, but statistically, I would agree that it is a double. I'll give you a double for that. That's I, fine. I'm not arguing for a triple. I, so. I I feel like it's a triple though. I don't know what it is about it, but I don't know. Anyway, especially with the way I a lot of Iowa State's wins have been blowouts. So, oh. um, I'm going prediction uh, definitely less than Kyle. So this one will be easy to say. I'm just going to say that Iowa State wins that. Mm, yeah. Double. Because it's wait no, but FPI says fifty one percent right. Yes. I don't give a damn about FPA. Yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a, I hate a ESPN mood, so yeah. that's a single. That yeah, that's yeah. what I was gonna say. That was a single, like yeah. Was, I, I was like, dude, to give any thought to anything more than a single for that. I said, I mean, yeah, if you go off, if you go off of FPI, then I, I hate FPI. I literally I know. just got done saying 50-50 is a single. Yeah, and then you're like it's 50-50, so should that be a double? I'm like, no, I'm not gonna stop you from giving me a double, but I literally just got done saying 50-50 is a uh, why? What do you got? I'm gonna say that Brock Purdy will not throw another interception in the Fiesta Bowl, aka no more Purdy picks, as uh, I am now dubbing it. Well, after that, is after that Baylor game, did he have another interception until the bowl game or the championship game? No, because I still had no more turnovers. I'm inclined to say that we're going to see the better Brock Purdy and yeah, so I, that this is going to be a single. I was leaning towards – I also don't think Oregon has a good defense. Yeah. 
I don't think that our interceptions from the last game were because of good defense. One of them was, obviously. One of them was. The other two, I'm not so sure. As Iowa State demonstrated, though, even when the ball gets thrown to you, you still got to catch it if you're on defense. So I was between a single and a double, and if Kyle says single, I'll say single. So That's fair. I I think it's a single. I don't think he's going to throw any. I hope he doesn't. I'm sure he won't either. I believe in Brock. Do we have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he's still alive, and Josh is predicting that the Green Bay Packers will go to the Super Bowl. They have, yep. according to five thirty-eight, they have a thirteen percent chance to make the Super Bowl. That is that's, second that's in the win. NFC. That's triple territory. That's a thirteen percent chance to win the Super Bowl. Oh, to win oh, the really? Super Bowl. Sorry. Yeah. Which means it's probably a not double. quite double that to make the Super Bowl. Right, but they still think the Saints are the better team, especially since the Saints beat them head to head this year. Yep. So I'm. But the Saints are going to have to go to Lambeau. Yeah, I'm thinking this is still probably a triple, but just yeah. According to it's probably like twenty to twenty-one. I I think it's probably a triple. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, triple it is. So we got two singles, a double, and a triple, which rounds out our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 111 of the 8311 cast. If you haven't had a chance, pop on to YouTube and check out uh, John Boy Media. They have a YouTube channel where they review sports content. They're, we're not sponsored by them by any means, but they did a video about Matt Campbell losing his mind uh, during the Big 12 championship game. Go and give that a dislike because he referred to Iowa State as Iowa throughout the entire game. That is the equivalent of calling a Yankees fan a Mets fan, uh, as John Boy is a fan. So go give that video a dislike. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. And Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Beat the O.